0: In a big city like New York, it's easy to slip through the cracks. But what happens to our things after they go missing? And what about after they're found? Good morning. I'm George Boraki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Coming up, we'll talk with an artist who gives lost objects in New York City a voice. I
1: would always kind of think of lost objects as like living things and have personalities and have stories
2: to tell
0: a couple who went to great lengths to find their lost dog
2: my immediate thought was like it's okay we're gonna find him tonight and obviously that didn't happen
0: That and more coming up on Cityscape this morning. But first, we check in with the MTAs lost and found. Thousands of lost items get turned into the lost property unit every year, from the mundane to the bizarre. We're talking about stuff found on subways and buses all across New York City. I recently paid a visit to the LPU inside the 34th Street and 8th Avenue subway station.
3: My name is William J. Bonner. I'm the supervisor for the lost property unit. And here we are in the LPU
0: right now. How long have you been here?
3: I've been here seven years.
0: So why don't you walk me
3: through, what am I looking at? Okay, so here we have all the lost property that's received that has none, uh, has no um, sensitive items, um, no personal information. And all the items here are, they have a retention period of, of 90 days. Everything that comes in here has a retention period. So basically, on this floor, we have all the items uh, by the month, and everything is stored by the the date of the month. Uh, All the tan cabinets are non-notified items, and in the rear, we have the gray cabinets that have all the non-notified items, meaning that there is something inside the item that contains a customer's address, but no sensitive information.
0: Do you take steps to reach out to those
3: people when you do have identifiable information? right that's the main that's our main goal once we receive an item you know to contact the customer so we're once item is received here we enter all the information in the lost property computer system and if there's any uh information such as telephone numbers email address our home address we notify the customer by postcard if there's a phone number we call them by telephone and if there's an email address we send them an email letting them know that there's lost property found. Of course, we can't tell them what it is, but we let them know that an item has been received here at the lost property office that may belong to them.
0: You mentioned that you retain items here for 90 days. What happens after 90 days if the item is not claimed?
3: It all depends on the item. For instance, if we have new clothing, if it's not claimed, we give it to a charity organization. We have other items such as uh, cell phones, which are, have a different retention period, which is six months, laptop, computers, and of course, jury, things like that. It's, jury's one year. Um, items that the policy has changed with all the, <clears throat> all the uh, smartphones and everything there's a lot of personal information on there. so we, we no longer sell such items like lap- laptops or digital items anymore. Um, actually, everything that I have is given to another department, which is asset Recovery, and they are in turn disposed of, or as they say scrubbed of all personal information.: How many items would you say you have here at any given point in time? Well, on the average, we, we receive, it's 20, last year we received 26,000, it was almost 27,000 items for the whole year. So on the average, we receive about 2,300 items per month.
0: You mentioned cell phones, you mentioned clothing. What other types of things wind up here?
3: Wallets, I mean, you name it, we have it. <laughs> I mean, uh, a lot of e-readers now, um, a, a lot of suitcases, you know, we know, a lot of tourists that come in and Um, I I don't know how they lose a suitcase, but they may be going to the airport and they may be in a rush and they leave the the item on the bus or the subway. Um, Keys, glasses, I mean, the whole gamut, everything is, I mean, if you name it, it's here. I mean, from false teeth to prosthetic legs, (laughs) seriously. False
0: teeth and prosthetic legs.
3: Yes, 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 yes. But uh, most of the time, you know, if if we have information, we contact the customer. And um, I guess the percentage of, most of the items is like a forty percent return rate you know located in the customer
0: i guess that's not bad huh
3: no it's not no for the for new york city i mean this is a very large system and um, we have a pretty pretty organized system here so um, we uh... like i said our main goal is to re- reunite the property to the customer
0: false teeth and prosthetic legs are pretty interesting <laughs> what other oddball items have wound up here
3: i, I guess at the time that i've been here the strangest thing that i've seen is um, a car bumper a steel car bumper, uh, seriously, you know, in New York City on the subway, <laughs> I guess it's one of the strangest items.
0: How happy are people when they come here and you turn over their found item? I would imagine you see a lot of relieved faces.
3: Oh, definitely. Uh, people are just, you know, they're in static because most of all, they, they I guess the mindset is that they believe that once the item is lost, it's gone, and no one's going to turn it in, but... I mean, customers find items and they they bring it directly to us. So um, that's why I can't emphasize enough that the customer should always go to our website, which is www.mta.info, and file a lost property inquiry. Because once we receive an item with their name on it, we check in the system to see if they did file an inquiry and all their personal information is there so we can notify them. Very important.
0: And over here we have more rows. of just lost stuff waiting for their rightful owners
3: yes (laughs) more items and in the rear if you want to uh, take a look here we have large items that are too large to keep up front and sensitive items uh, that contain something maybe of value or credit cards or personal information yeah this place is pretty vast
0: just keeps going doesn't it yes
3: it does yes it does so we have suitcases here um You name it, we have musical instruments, baby strollers, um, bicycles over here. Uh, You name it, like I said, everything is here. How do you forget a bicycle? Well, most of the time, the bicycles are attached to our property. For instance, when you enter the subway station, the customer may attach the the bicycle to to the railing, and there's a sign posted that if you... If you attach your bike here, it will be removed and sent to our office. So that's, that's where most of these bikes come from.
0: William, you have skis here. Someone lost their skis. Yes,
3: yes. A pair of skis. As I said, we have the whole gamut here. A pair of skis. Yes.
0: Do you ever get used to the subway sound? You are working underground.
3: And here yes. we go again. <laughs> Here's the subway. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, you, 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 you get accustomed to the different sounds and everything. Um, I don't even hear it. I didn't even notice it until you, you brought it up. <laughs> All right,
0: William, thank you so much for your time.
3: Uh, you're welcome. Nice meeting you.
0: And hopefully, I'll never have to return
3: here. <laughs> I hope so, too. <laughs> thank you.
0: That was William Bonner, supervisor of New York City Transit's lost property unit. Sometimes the things that go missing are not easily replaced. That was the case with Tigger, a year-old puppy that went missing late last year. One of Tigger's owners, Valerie Aronov, joins me on the phone to talk about the campaign to get him back. Valerie, thank you for taking the time.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: So tell me about Tigger. Tigger.
2: Uh, well, Tigger is a uh, rescue dog that we adopted on June 1st last year. He's a lab pit mix. We think he's very timid and shy around people, and he's not really he's not really a flight risk because he's a, you know an off off leash kind of kind of dog. We take him off leash in Central Park and in dog runs. Uh, and in December, he was being walked by a friend of ours, and he actually got loose from his leash because she put it on incorrectly, and he ran away.
0: What went through your mind when you heard that?
2: You know, I was so stunned. I It didn't hit me immediately. It took me a few minutes. And then my immediate thought was like, it's okay, we're going to find him tonight. You know, he's probably just hiding somewhere. It was already dark. He's probably just, you know, ran back to the office or ran back to, you know, somewhere that's more familiar to him, to Madison Square Park. He was lost in that area. And I'm sure he's just hiding under a bush and we'll just, you know, I'll go out calling him and he'll come right back. And obviously that didn't happen.
0: So what steps did you take to find Tigger?
2: Uh, So what we did was we initially that night created flyers and we flyered until probably 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning, I think. Uh, just posting them up in that area. The next day, we started visiting the shelters and creating more flyers and printing more flyers and posting more flyers. Uh, then we created a Facebook page called Help Find Tigger, which we promoted and received. We have over 2,000 likes on it. So we asked all of the people on the Facebook page, which was international, even the people that were reaching out to us. We asked everybody in the New York or Tri-State area if they could just put a couple of flyers up in their neighborhood and maybe someone, you know, had seen him. You never know with dogs if someone picks them up and then takes them elsewhere, you know, and then they run away from them. There's so many variables that could happen because they are, you know, mobile. <laughs> you know, so we we tried to just get the word out to as many people as possible and try to have as many, as many visual sightings of flyers and, you know, articles and things that we could get them, publicized about.
0: Did you receive a lot of false results?
2: We received a few. There was a couple really, it was actually really sad. A couple of people were prank calling us, you know, we found your dog. He's in New Jersey. And then we would call them back and they would, you know, disappear or tell us, you know, something nasty. Uh, One man told us I sold him to somebody if you give me $40, I'll go give him the money, you know, the money back and I'll go pick him up for you. Mm. Uh, and, I, you know, again, we we followed through on everything just in case, because you never know. But, it, you know, it, it was it started to become pretty easy to tell the hoaxes from people that were calling with any real advice, which which only happened, you know, very even even less frequently. Uh, any sightings and things like that.
0: Was there a time when you gave up all hope?
2: No, absolutely not. We even when, you know, it was like three weeks in, I think, and everybody was kind of nobody wanted to say it to us. But they all thought we were sort of acting in vain. But we just figured I said, you know, what? how long how long do we keep doing this? And my fiance's answer was until we find him. We'll just keep firing. We'll keep posting. We'll keep putting up pictures and keep getting the word out.
0: So how did you find Tigger?
2: Uh, ultimately, there were flyers that were posted in Union Square. I'm not sure who posted them, so you know if it was us or if it was one of our Facebook followers and the man who found him and had taken him in uh ultimately saw them or his friend saw them and called us and then the man called us and they asked us some questions, you know, did your dog have any? They didn't tell us they found him. They just asked us, "Did your dog have any distinct markings? What was he? You know, what did he look like? What was this? What was his behavior? Just things that sort of led me to think that maybe they knew where he was." And um, I answered all their questions. And ultimately, he called us and said, "You know, I'm pretty sure I have your dog. If you want to come pick him up, I'm you know I'm at home right now. I'll come meet you." It was probably I think 12 o'clock at night uh, when we got out there, and it was he. He texted me. I got a text back that it's him, and then he sent me a picture with him.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> How good did that feel?
2: It was amazing. I, I burst out in tears. I, you know, I called my parents. It was like 1230 in the morning by that point. I think I thought something terrible had happened because I'm calling them like hysterical. And, you know, I told them we found him. We found him. He's home. He's home. I texted them the picture. And, you know, they were, of course, ecstatic. They, everybody loves him. He's just such a sweet dog. Uh, while he was gone, we actually, one woman called us from Queens and told us that there was a stray dog running loose in her neighborhood, and she thought perhaps it was Tigger. And she, we went out there, we did a sort of a stakeout, because he would only come around at night. And around maybe 2 o'clock or so, we saw him, and it was not our Tigger, but ultimately we ended up fostering him and adopting him um as well wow and
0: so you welcomed another dog into your home
2: we did and we actually had him just for a couple of days before tigger came home and we were hoping that he would that they would get along and just sort of have a happy family unit together Um uh, unfortunately that did not end up happening mm. so we are we are looking for a new home for him if anyone is interested in adopting him he's a coon hound shepherd mix and you can get in touch with us through our facebook site uh, help find tigger uh, if knew, and there's photos of him on there as
0: well. Valerie, thanks so much for sharing your story with me.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Valerie Aronov now uses the Facebook page Help Find Tigger to find homes for other strays and rescues. You're listening to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. One man's trash truly is another man's treasure, as these next stories demonstrate. On the shore of Dead Horse Bay in Brooklyn is what's known as Bottle Beach. It's awash in bottles and what are believed to be old horse bones, among other things. I recently paid a visit to Bottle Beach and caught up with a photographer who likes to seek out forgotten treasures there.
4: My name is Will Ellis. I'm a photographer. Uh, I run a website called Abandon NYC, and uh, just started a photo series of found objects in New York City uh, called New York Lost and Found.: We're hearing a little bit of the wind because today we are where, will. This is uh, Dead Horse Bay, which has to be the best place in New York City to find old things. There's uh, some really interesting, uh, really interesting phenomenon happening here. So basically this place was once a real watery mess, uh, kind of a swamp, marshland, and it was filled in um, for development in the 1920s uh, with garbage. So at some point in the 50s or 70s, uh, the landfill cap ruptured and today all of that garbage that was deposited here in the 1920s is coming to the surface again. Uh, as the shoreline is eroded away. So the beach is covered with old bottles and old artifacts from that period. Um, you find old toys, shoes, basically anything you can think of that you might have thrown away is here at Dead Horse Bay. So it's a treasure trove of garbage. Exactly, yeah. Kind of a time capsule, I like to think of it. Um, it really gives you a an idea of what it was like to live back then, you know, what kind of objects they had. Uh, you notice the first thing you notice is all of the bottles are glass. Uh, you see the old old logos and um, it's really just a, a look back in time. What are among the neater objects that you've discovered on this beach? You know, my favorite things to find are the old toys. Um, this was when plastic was just coming into use and some of the first uses you saw were in children's toys. Uh, I especially like finding things that have uh, a face because an object with uh, this kind of a, a figure or a sculpture, when there's a face, you can instantly kind of connect with it and it takes on this personality. And of course, they've been underground for close to 100 years. They're decayed and grotesque. And so you find, you know, old doll heads that are just misshapen and. They're really fascinating to look at and, you know, as a photographer I'm looking for that texture and that decay um, to make an, an interesting picture.
0: Do you create stories in your mind thinking about who
4: that doll could have belonged to? Absolutely, and it's, so much of it is about that sense of mystery and the questions it brings up. You know, when you pick up an object you might be the first person to touch that in a hundred years and who was the last person to interact with this? And with the toys, you know, this this meant something to some little boy or girl at one point. Maybe they they played with it for five seconds and forgot about it, but, um, you know, it sort of really connects you with the past in a really direct way um, and connects you to the life of an individual. Now, you don't
0: only hunt for objects here. You do this all over New York City, right?
4: Right, Um, and this started pretty organically. I was doing this project, Abandon NYC, documenting Um, abandoned buildings across the five boroughs and that was around two years ago that I started and uh, started to you know take a few things home with me here and there because a lot of the time uh, you have things left behind in these buildings from the last time they were in use or things people leave behind uh, who come to visit these buildings so after a while I realized I had kind of a interesting collection on my hands and started to seek them out more deliberately, um, not just in abandoned buildings, but um, just in my travels across the city, you know, old neglected parks. or uh, You really have to head into the outer boroughs to find this stuff and find those places where things have just been neglected for a long time, where trash and these objects have kind of accumulated over time. Yeah, not going to find that in midtown Manhattan, are you? Definitely not. Uh, no good trash in Manhattan. <laughs> Where besides here have been your favorite places to go hunting? Um, You know, it's really these objects kind of find you, and it's hard to seek them out. Um, In New York City, a lot of these abandoned buildings are so well-traveled by, you know, urban explorers and graffiti artists and um, mostly teenagers, uh, and they've kind of been picked through, and there's not much left. Um, But every once in a while, you do find things. And, uh, you know, there's this building um, right across from us in Floyd Bennett Field that isn't too spectacular in terms of uh, an abandoned building. But uh, I think for that reason it's kind of been undiscovered and there's a lot of old stuff uh, left there from the 1970s. And, you know, I could pick through that stuff for hours and (laughs) be a happy man. Do you consider yourself an urban explorer? You use the term yeah i you know I don't um, I've always kind of done this on my own. I think urban ex- exploration is kind of about the sense of community and it's it's a hobby for people and obviously we're interested in some of the same things. but I've always kind of thought of myself as a photographer first, and you know this is a project I'm doing right now, but I don't think I'll always be going into abandoned buildings and um, so yeah, I don't usually call myself an urban explorer. Partially, I just think the term is a little juvenile, (laughs) and I think a lot of urban explorers feel that way too.
0: Have you ever discovered something that had someone's name on it that you tried to
4: return to them? Um, Yeah, there's actually this wallet I found uh, on the Rockaway Beach Branch, which is a a three-and-a-half-mile rail line in Queens that has been abandoned for 50 years. You know, a forest has grown up in between the tracks and I found this wallet which had been laying there for close to 30 years the credit cards inside dated back to 1985 and you know all of his family photos were in there and that is really really gave me a window into this person's life Um, and of course I had his name you know it was all over these IDs and tried googling him and tried to find him but Nothing came up, so (laughs) I've still got it.
0: Shall we do a little searching
4: here? Yes, um, so we're going to head over this way where the bulk of the trash is deposited. And again, you'll find a lot of bottles. I'm mostly looking for old toys, uh, you know, something kind of creepy and weird, and uh, you really never know what you're going to find. Not a beach to walk around barefoot, is it? Uh, Definitely not. You want to get some good shoes. Yeah, this is not a place to spend a sunny day at the beach. Yeah, a lot of broken glass all around us here. Let's see. So we'll... It's very important to come at low tide, uh, obviously, because uh, during high tide, there's really nothing to see. But right now, we're looking at this, this vast expanse of glittering bottles um, stretching as far as the eye can see so hopefully we'll find a few treasures in here. I just picked up this uh, old Pepsi Cola bottle. I found a uh, one that's completely intact. This is pretty you know just kind of a fragment of it but you see a lot of recognizable names a lot of Clorox bleach and 7-Up and it's interesting to see that Some things haven't changed all that much. So I just picked up this uh, little bone here. You find these all over the place on Dead Horse Bay, and uh, you hear that they're horse bones, which could possibly be true. Um, And this place, uh, the way it got its name is actually really interesting. This used to be the final destination for all of the dead horses in New York City. Back in the age when horse-drawn carriages ruled the roadways, you had a lot of dead horses on your hands. And so that material would be sent to these gargantuan rendering plants uh, on the shore of Dead Horse Bay, and they were boiled and mashed up and steamed into um, saleable products. Stuff like glue, which we still associate with horse bones, um, but also things like uh, fertilizer, Uh, oils used in soap making, of all things, and later on it actually expanded and started to uh, bring in all of New York City's garbage, and that went through a similar process. Uh, And during that time, this place was known for the horrendous smell that just emanated from it, and it was a real problem for people, and there were organizations devoted to shutting down these factories. You know, when the wind was right, the stench would come blowing over, and uh, there are instances where, you know, hotel patrons in Manhattan Beach had to be evacuated, and property values would plummet, so it was a pretty serious issue. Here's a mink soda bottle, M-I-N-C-K, since 1888. Wow. Wow. A sparkling carbonated beverage, triple filtered, every bottle sterilized. I don't think it's sterilized any longer. <laughs> now that's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, this is very, almost completely intact. It's got a big chip on one side, but some kind of uh, like dish for cream, very intricate uh, design on it. This is beautiful, you don't find too many things like this. Normally the, the dishes and uh, china are kind of shattered, but this is almost intact. You could take this home and use this. I probably don't need it, though. This appears to be some kind of like inflatable clown or policeman. <laughs> it's bizarre.
0: I think it actually looks like a policeman, an inflatable yeah, policeman.
4: He's got a little um, little badge and something, a whistle maybe, sticking out of his mouth. Bizarre. That definitely <laughs> speaks to another time, though. Yeah, you, I mean, just like that, looking at that eye, you know, it looks like a classic um, Steamboat Willie cartoon. I guess I'll take that.
0: Will Ellis is a photographer from Brooklyn. You can find his lost and found photo project on his website, AbandonedNYC.com. Art student Yunjin Lee is another New Yorker who sees forgotten and discarded things as more than just trash. In fact, she gives them a voice. She joins me now on the phone to talk about her little lost project. Yunjin, welcome.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: So how did the little lost project come about?
1: Um, Well, this project first started as a class project, and the brief was to simply create a mystery on the streets. So I thought it would be interesting to humanize um, small, everyday objects that we see laying on the streets of New York, like Metro cards, lip balms, lighters, something that is really annoying when you lose them, but easily replaceable. And then um, what I do is I think about what this object might have been through. Because when you lose a lip balm, it's, not, it's just annoying. It's not life-changing. But probably if you per- change the perspective, the lip balm is um, devastated. So I kind of think of a message to write on these cardboard signs that I create, and then I put them back on the streets for people to notice. So and...
0: what would a lip balm say, for instance?
1: Um, like a small yellow lip balm that I found, I wrote, like, um, once upon a time, I was someone's cute lip balm, things like that. Like Some of them are really sad. Some of them are kind of hostile towards the owner who lost them. Such
0: as? Give me an example of one that was hostile.
1: Uh, I lost once. I did a paper clip, and it said, I wrote, um, if you lose me, you lose all your papers. Huh. You know, things like that.
0: <laughs> I see next to a lighter, you wrote, We lighters are like buses. We come and go.
1: Yes. That one was a pretty sad one, because um, this was during Christmas time, and the streets were really crowded with people, so I thought people would definitely stop and like watch me take photos and videos of it. But nobody actually really looked, so I kind of felt really sad for this lighter as I was taking photos of it.
0: So in a way, Yunjin, are you empathizing with these lost objects, really? When it comes down to it, do you actually maybe feel what they might feel if they were human?
1: Yes, I I um, try to put myself in the shoes of these objects and kind of try to relate with them so that when people read these messages, they can also relate with the small object.
0: So is this an ongoing project for you now?
1: Yes, it's a, it's an ongoing project that I'll be doing for a while.
0: Will you ever ever look at a lost object the same way again now that you've undertaken this project?
1: Uh, no, I think and I would always kind of think of lost objects as like living things and have personalities and have stories to tell.
0: Jen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That was Yoon Jin Lee of The Little Lost Project. You can see that and more of her work at zoonzin.com. That's Z as in zebra, O-O-N-Z as in zebra, I-N dot com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Past episodes of the show are available in our archives at wfuv.org slash cityscape. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Find us in all three at WFUV Cityscape. My thanks to senior producer Veronica Volk and producer Taylor Nolk. Have a great weekend.
3: It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. listener supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New
2: York. Music discovery starts here.